Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. Today's guest on the show is Ryan Arzi. You know him as Ellie Foiler on the gram, and he is currently writing for Foiling Magazine, doing the Friday, I think it's the Friday morning pump, uh, and doing reviews for the magazine. Um, I got to meet Ryan in person. Um, He's an LA guy, I'm a Florida guy, uh, at the Cocoa Beach race, and um, we started talking, and he is a wealth of information on foiling. And actually one of the coolest things is that, and I didn't know this about Ryan, is that he coaches foiling on Nomotu. And so this is a wide ranging conversation, but there's a good portion of it that will be very beneficial for people getting into the sport right now, because Ryan probably has as much um, knowledge, experience uh, in the very early learning phase of foiling as as almost anyone out there. Um, You know, that's something that I've not spending very much time doing anymore. And even when I do some coaching, which, you know, when Brian and I will run camps from time to time, it's generally intermediate foilers, you know, to come to the camp, you actually have to be, you know, going down the line, pumping a little bit, uh, so that it's beneficial. So, um, as far as a beginner show goes, this is going to be a good one. One of the things that I, I really do enjoy about Ryan surfing though, is just, he seems to be on the same path as I am in regards to style and flow. And I love watching his clips. If you don't follow him, give him a follow. Check out what he is doing um, because he's drawing some beautiful lines and like really taking advantage of the efficiency uh, that a foil offers in in the surf that he that he has out there in California. Uh, a couple notes before we dive in. First. Um, Thank you guys tremendously for all the support with the progression foil, the feedback. Um, Still, I'm getting a few messages a day from people who have just felt it or just gotten it. And they're they're so stoked. And it's just, it it really stokes me out to hear. Uh, And the goal, my goal in design has always been to create something that helps people experience more stoke. I mean, I guess that's what the podcast is about too. It's just kind of like the deliberate practice learning side of it. Um, but through design, you get to create a tool that maybe gives access to something that you haven't had access before to. And um, it seems like that's happening and you know, it's gone incredibly well. Unifoil is now sold out of the 140 and 170. Um, that does not mean that you still can't get them. Dealers still have some. I know that um, TJ at Big Wins, I think he has one or two kits left. I, I just kind of did a follow-up to before I did this show to um, make sure I'm not going to overspeak here, but I know that TJ has some, uh, I think one or two kits and a couple wings left. Uh, Good Breeze has a few more because I think they got a second order in already. And I think Josh at the foil shop, Josh and Patrick, I think they still have a couple. But um, when those run out, it's going to be probably a little bit of time before the next batch, which is in the factory right now getting done, will be available. So if you've been on the fence, maybe now's the time to do it. Um, And oh, the other thing I want to say before the show, and this is kind of a little a thought on learning and 
you know, it, it's been interesting. So learning to foil has been a very, um, as far as geographically for us here in Florida, um, it's been a pretty solo journey in that, you know, Mike and I were the first two guys really foiling on our coast and we were learning together. So we were sharing thoughts, but there was no one here better than us um, foiling when, when we started. And so we kind of had to figure everything out on our own. And, and downwinding has been the same. Now, the podcast has been an incredible uh, secret to gaining knowledge, but it's not the same as being in the water with someone. And, you know, so anyone learning right now, I think, has a huge advantage. And, and I'm somewhat jealous, although it's also very cool to have started when we started and be where we are now. But a huge advantage in being able to, to learn from people probably in your um, in your network at your local beaches who are ahead of you on the learning curve and, and being able to see what they're doing. And, um, you know, I don't think about that much in the, in the surf anymore, but, but in the downwinding, this podcast actually is an interesting one for me because, you know, Mike and I have been sending a lot of downwinders. Now Austin Tovey's actually doing some sub downwinders with me. My last two runs have been with him and we just had a crazy good time. Um, but Ryan said something on the show that I had not thought of. And I believe that he credits Jack from town, Jack Ho, for teaching him this. And that is getting incredibly comfortable, very near stall speed, going very slow on a downwinder, um, actually increasing angle of attack to slow yourself down in certain situations as a way to kind of be able to hang in places that you wouldn't normally think about hanging in. And my mentality throughout my whole downward journey has been maintain speed, go from, you know, bump to bump, always exiting with the most speed. Um, don't really ever try to slow down because when you slow down, you're getting to that point where you're going to have to start relying on cardio. And so after we recorded, I thought about that and we were lucky enough to have I guess three or four downwind runs since the show was recorded. It's taken me a little bit to get this one out. And I started playing with that. And it, it is the single best piece of advice that I have gotten and applied in downwinding. And it has allowed me to become comfortable hanging on very little energy and having faith that energy will appear uh, either catch me from the back, you know, like you're waiting for something to build or um, you'll start to see like the seam appear to the right or the left and and you can get there. And I have dropped my average heart rate on my last three runs by about 20 beats a minute, which is just incredible. You know, like I at the beginning, people have said it's, oh, it's not a cardio game. It's not a cardio game. It's always been a cardio game for me. And you know, I don't have the world's greatest cardio. I'm not a distance guy in any way, shape or form. I'm a sprinter. And this has been just incredible for me being able to extend runs. And what it's actually really done, which I'm most excited about, is that before I kind of changed my philosophy on how I'm approaching the, the downwind run, when I was on good energy, I was relaxing to get my cardio back up, giving myself a breather, basically just trying to minimize as much effort as possible. And with how I'm approaching it now, where I'm pumping probably 
half of what I was pumping before. Um, now when I'm getting good energy, I'm able to open up the surfing and, and, you know, because you do burn a lot of energy when you're surfing and like in carves. Um, and it's been so much fun. So not only am I using less cardio on runs right now, I am surfing three X, four X as much as I was on the runs. So yeah. And, and, and it's, it, uh, th that's the micro, I guess, as far as like how it applies to me. But the really cool thing about this is that in coaching, I'm always looking for the one little tidbit that is going to bring about the next big philosophical change for someone. And, um, Ryan gave me one of those and it's been a while since someone's kind of instilled like that one little nugget that kind of changes everything. So, um, very stoked on that. Uh, it's facilitated a few incredible runs and yeah, I just can't wait to get, uh, to get some more. We're like, gnarly northeast conditions this week i don't know what's going on winter won't die um but uh yeah we might get some chums this afternoon so anyways let's get on with the show ryan thank you for coming on hit me with questions comments feedback and i hope everybody is full sending 2023 <laughs> ryan what's up dude Hey, Eric, how's it going? Stoked to be on here. It's, it's yeah. an honor. Stoked to have you on. I After our conversations, Ryan, who is LA Foiler on Instagram, was at the Foil Pump Race in Cocoa Beach. I was down there and we got to spend some time chatting and I was like, hey, this guy's going to make a great podcast. So I'm glad it worked out and thank you for coming on. Yeah, definitely. I actually went to that event last year and I was hoping you'd be there, but I'm glad I made it back out again this year and got a chance to finally meet you and it's really cool to you know finally meet you in person and chat because i like learned how to foil off off this podcast basically you know when i i i got my first foil back in in 2017 in college and i really struggled and i couldn't you know figure it out i couldn't even pop up and like first wave i got you know the the tailwing was actually held in by one screw and because everything was seized it was like an aluminum Board, like set up and the board was also like I think a five eight and it was super narrow it was like a, wow. a short board that had a ton of rocker and a total box and it was it was like a, like the first very first generation and I like fell off and then I like bumped into the tail and it immediately fell off and like disappeared into the water <laughs> to buy like a, yeah so I had to buy a new like whole like fuse and tail because they had discontinued that already and I gave up foiling for a couple years because I'm like, this is way too hard. This is just for pros. I, I can't, I can't even get to my feet. And then I, you know, was, was out longboarding and I saw this guy that is now a really close friend of mine, Brad De La Cruz, sup foiling. And I was like, oh, maybe if I, if I get a sup, I don't have to worry about the pop-up and it'll be much easier to learn because then I'm already standing and I, I didn't have any sup background. And so I, I bought this, you know, a sup from him and I tried to mount my foil, which had a Tuttle and it turned out not to be the right style of Tuttle fit. So then I ended up, you know, also buying, you know, an original GoFoil setup with him to pair with. And it was like a GoFoil Eva and Kai Wing. And those, you know, if you, you look at them now, they're, they still like, you know, ride and turn good and they're good for beginners. But if you look at them, like the foil section is like an inch thick, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a it thick is. wing. <laughs> And it, it's got a ton of early lift and stuff. And 
I went out and I tried it on the sup and immediately like, you know, the whole perception of when you're standing on a sup is way different than when you're prone paddling. And so I like got bucked off a couple of times and I was like, all right, I, I can't do it on the sup. But he also gave me like this free handshake prone board that he had made. And um, it was just like, basically like a, a square, like soap bar. And immediately I want to try that. It was way easier on the shorter board. And, you know, just, I was like, oh, wow. I'm like actually starting to figure this out. And so, you know, luckily in, in the future that the SUP I had actually proved pretty useful for learning how to wing. Uh, but it was cool, you know, because I asked him, like, how do I how do I learn? Like, how do I progress? Like, I want to learn all these things. And he's like, oh, go listen to the progression project project podcast. Cool. And, you know, yeah. And so, you know, I went on there and listened to I think the first one I listened to was the Eric Christensen one. Okay. And you know, he talked about the foiling community and at the time I didn't really get like, you know, what he kind of meant about like how inclusive and inviting it is. And, you know, now I get it and now it's, it's, it's changed my life. So it's, it's cool to be on here and, you know, have, have something to say and especially be kind of a, a student of the podcast. There well, that's awesome. And thank you for coming on and all that. Um, man, there's so many places that we could start. I mean, a couple of the things that I think are interesting that I'll put out there are one, you're now writing with foiling magazine, right? Yes. Yes. So, so I write the, the Friday pump newsletter for them. And you're getting to test a lot of gear, which I think is amazing. So we have that in common. And then also I feel like your approach to waves is very similar to the way that I like it. I think that, you know, it really resonates with me the lines that you draw and the way you the way you see lines and so so that'll be something interesting that we can dive into as well but let's start with you work on Namotu Island which I want to understand how you got that job I mean how incredible <laughs> is that it's like a dream but you're coaching people in foiling and so let's talk about let's start with like some of the lessons that you have learned and some of the things that you came in with some of the thoughts that you came in with approaches and how those have evolved as you've spent more time coaching people, because I spend a lot of time thinking about kind of the upper end of the process, but not a lot of time at, at the beginner level anymore. So I'd love to hear what you've thought and how the sports evolved in the last year or so in, in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a few things in there. So let me unpack it by kind of yeah starting with coaching. So what's interesting. So I, I started off as a, like a surfer. I, I learned how to surf when I got my driver's license and you know, before that I was, I knew how to snowboard and living in, in California and in LA, you know, there's, there's waves here and I wanted to learn how to surf. And then, you know, when foiling became a big thing with, you know, seeing Kai and James Casey and, and Ridge and all those, you know, early guys doing it, I was like, oh, I really want to learn it. But yeah, I couldn't figure out like, you know, how to get started. So when I finally, you know, started again at around, you know, the beginning of COVID and started getting the hang of it, one of the biggest things for me was, you know, progression and, and getting better and also kind of understand what was going on. Cause I was never really a, a like good surfer. Like I, I've like really been barreled and I, I bogged tons of turns, but foiling was different because you have so much time to be up on foil. And I was like, okay, if I can build, you know, my body awareness and I, I can, you know, be aware of what I'm doing. If like, you know, if my hands are cocked in one way or how I'm standing and, you know, the more I, I, I kind of understand what I'm doing while I'm writing, I think I can focus on that and adjust and progress so I can prevent myself from building, you know, bad habits that will stick. And so I would go and, you know, I'd have a session and 
I would watch the Surfline Rewind Cam of, you know, that day. And I'd, I'd think about what I was doing on the wave at the time versus how it looked on the, the Surfline Rewind. And then I'd also, in my notes, like the first 10 foil sessions, first 15 foil sessions I had, I would go into the notes and I'd write down everything I was feeling and everything, you know, like I was like what's what setup I was using and how I like how everything felt. And, you know, sometimes I'll go back and I'll read it and I'll be like, wow, like it, it allows you to relive it, right? And that's what footage and also the notes allows you to re relive, you know, that moment in the wave. Cause a lot of times when you're you're surfing, you're foiling, you, you kind of you have tunnel vision. And you immediately forget until you, you know, think back or look at footage and stuff like that. So I'd watch footage of myself and I'd be like, oh, wow, like my my back arm is just kind of floating there. It looks a little awkward. Or when I would start learning how to pump, I'd be like, oh, man, I'm like swinging my arms way too hard. And it's actually hurting my my cadence. And so kind of the self-coaching thing was was a big part of it in the beginning. Like, how do I progress? And then. We have a shop out here in Seal Beach called The Foil Shop, and I'm really close with the owner, Josh, and also one of the uni riders, Patrick. Patrick Israel, super cool guy, kind of got helped a lot, and he's like, oh, well, like, if you want to learn how to pump, you need to get on, like, a bigger, higher-aspect foil, and, and then I got on an Axis 900, which was a lot easier to pump, you know, because it was one of the first high-aspect foils I tried, and, uh, you know, that that kind of began the path of understanding like you know people giving each other advice and then you know through the foil shop started you know teaching others and sharing you know my knowledge and that's kind of really what foiling is 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 understanding you know the foil and understanding what you're doing and technique i think that goes the furthest in terms of progression and that's why i think this podcast and everything has been so helpful and especially instagram too you know even though instagram is pretty addictive watching what other people are doing has gone, you know, has been super helpful because you're like, oh, wow, this is possible or having a narrow stance or having a wide stance. All these things are, you know, they, they all have different places and being informed, I think goes the furthest way. So that was the first step. Like I really try to inform myself. I really try to learn everything I could about foiling and different techniques and foils and how they work. And so I learned how to wing, you know, after learning how to do like two for ones and prone foil on this, you know, the sup that I, I failed to learn how to sup on. <laughs> and, you know, it, that's a great, you know, great, great thing to have. Like, you know, when you have a sup, you can also learn how to wing on it too, which is, is awesome. And I'd never had a background in wing sports or in wind sports. So the wing handling was its own thing. And learning how to forecast wind is another really important thing that you know, now I love for downwinding and stuff like that. And anyone that's learning, I really recommend you learn how to forecast wind or even just become friends with people around that know how to do it and just kind of stick with them. So, you know, once I learned how to wing and, you know, this guy, Bryson Jones, that was one of the early, he actually learned how to foil just from winging, didn't really have a background in anything else. And so I, I learned a lot from him from wing foiling and also board construction and stuff like that. But yeah, through the community, I learned a lot uh, about how to improve my own foiling. And then also my goal was to find a way to be articulate and explain things in a way that, you know, not only I could visualize and understand myself, but also I could pass that knowledge on to others. And uh, so about last year, you know, I had gotten pretty, I, I'd say comfortable with foiling and winging and starting to, you know, had it was starting to make downwind runs prone and, Basically, 
one of my friends who's actually been on the podcast, Cole Kuana, their family, you know, organizes a trip to Namotu annually and tries to book the spots with their friends so that, you know, everyone that's on the island knows each other. And that's really cool. And I, I really wanted to, you know, be on that trip because, you know, Namotu is a pretty historic island for foiling. I think the first, you know, two for one that, that Kai did was actually at Namotu Les. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the, it's a really progressive island. You know, they've, they've been early with the, like, kite surfing and also foiling. And so I really wanted to go out there and experience it. And there's also, you know, great surf, like cloud break out there. And so I, I'm, I made it on the trip and we were, you know, they're surfing, foiling, having a good time. And coincidentally, at the time, the CEO, Ben Wilson, was, was looking for a coach for his, you know, signature weeks after that. And I didn't realize that. And basically one of the other guests told like, oh, like if you have any questions about the foils and stuff, go talk to Ryan. And we sat down and the island is, is you know, Ben rides for Slingshot and there's a lot of Slingshot here on the island. So I had never seen Slingshot stuff before, but he pulled me aside and was like, hey, like, what do you think about, you know, these foils? What do you think would work good for beginners and stuff like that? And luckily, since I've, I've done a lot of research, I kind of knew what would work and what setup would go good for people learning how to wing and surf and toe and stuff like that and so he he gave me a chance to stay on the island and work there and that's how it started and uh, you know my my experience with you know like coaching with the foil shop and stuff like that really kind of lent a hand and i you know at first it's interesting i didn't really know what the best approach was to coaching you know because you know even still there's constantly ways that you know you can approach things differently and there's everyone learns in a different way and as you know as i've continued to coach there's new techniques and new ways of explaining and getting people to visualize things that has gone a long way but i think the biggest thing and you know it applies to everything that i've learned with coaching is resonating with the person and getting the person to to feel good about, you know, even if they're not progressing fast or if they're struggling and falling, just finding a way to have a good time and getting them to laugh and, you know, enjoying the time out there. Cause I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. There's, there's, there's going to be struggle. It's going to be hard, but you know, you have to find the, the beauty in that. And also, you know, being able to resonate with the person, understand what their backgrounds are, you can help them apply it to, their you know their growth so like if you know one of the biggest things in foiling is having confidence and if if you know you can find a way to apply like you know when you're learning how to foil if you're really really scared and really timid you're gonna just kick the foil away when you get scared which is is a good thing to do when you're learning of course you don't want to taco but yeah applying things in life or previous experiences that you can use as analogies for people to learn has gone a long way for coaching and uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of that in a nutshell with I love it. how I, yeah. So, so what's the standard setup now? I mean, in some of our previous conversations, you mentioned that, you know, originally you had thought bigger foils were better and now you've changed that mindset a bit. Can you talk through that where you're at now, right now? Yes. So that's really interesting. So, um, you know, on the Island, they have these like 150 liter Kalama sup elevator boards like the original ones and they're they're super bomber and they're really easy to stand on and 
on them is also a go foil with a shorter mast and like a Maliko 200. So mm -hmm. that, that foil has really early lift. And when you're in like really smooth, glassy conditions, the way we, we, we teach is behind like a long boat with a, with a rope and I'll be, or another coach is on the boat and the driver will drive. And I'm watching the person, the person will either start out on their knees or standing. And, you know, as they go along, you, they start to lift. And what I've noticed is, you know, that's generally the way people kind of learn how to foil unless they have an access to an e-foil, which is, you know, the easiest way probably to learn other than, you know, behind a boat or jet ski, but with, with the Kalama elevator and with the Maliko 200, sometimes on a really big board, people don't know where to stand and where to position their feet. Cause a lot of times the balance point of the board isn't necessarily the balance point of a foil. Mm -hmm. And depending on the rider weight and stuff like that, what, what we noticed was that people were, especially smaller riders were getting really early lift and at, around the stall speed just get scared and then they they'd like taco onto the foil and when you're going slow you're a lot more likely to taco and fall onto the foil and kind of have the board kick flip underneath you than if you were going fast so then we started trying with smaller foils like a slingshot g800 and a g900 and then depending on the person's previous board sport experience we'd put them on a smaller board that they'd wake start or if they could sink, I mean, that's definitely ideal, but the wake start on a bigger, like five, two slingshot, like simulator, soft top foil board mm -hmm. proved to be really useful because they wouldn't lift until they were up at a, you know, like six, seven miles an hour. And then once they did fall or breach, you know, they would have speed and then the board would go one direction. They go another direction and they were a lot less likely to, to taco unless they were really, really loading up on the rope and, you know, leaning against the boat and speeding up really fast and then kind of going over the handlebars. But yeah, we found that, you know, just depending on the previous per or on this, on the student's experience, you know, using the right setup for them and kind of getting them going on that proved to be really useful and using a smaller foil. So that I didn't get early lift was, was a safer alternative. And by pairing that smaller front wing with like a big tail for extra roll stability, that was also really helpful too. Cause I mean, if you put a really small foil and a really small tail together, it's going to be very loose and pitch sensitive and roll sensitive. So it's, it's hard for someone to learn, but if you pitch a, a pair of smaller, you know, front wing with a, a bigger tail, that seems to help. And definitely not on, you don't want to be on like a super long mass, like an 80 centimeter or 32 inch mass. Cause you know, you deer in the headlights, once they start getting higher and higher and yeah, having that shorter mass, like 70 centimeters and below seems to be pretty good for learning yeah that that's interesting you know like i've never heard that I, I had never heard that before you told me that and and it does make sense i'm always telling people to start on you know 1300 1400 something bigger lower stall speeds controlled a little bit more but i never really thought about it from the tacoing aspect and i'm not out there seeing it i'm not generally helping a lot of folks in that learning phase essentially yeah. so from what you've seen you know one of the questions that I'm always getting is, you know, how dangerous is it to learn foiling? How many injuries were you seeing in that phase? Yeah. So actually you know, over the, the nine weeks that I was coaching there and doing you know, the beginner stuff behind the boat and jet ski and winging and stuff like that, there were like zero injuries pretty much. Maybe there was like maybe one or two where the rider was overly confident and they'd 
try to save it when they were losing it and then they like fell and they either like like landed on the foil and they kind of like maybe cut their arm a little bit or had a pretty gnarly bruise or actually one of the doctors on the island who's like super talented this this girl that had like a ton of energy was like doing backflips on land and stuff like that she again same thing like she wasn't really being cautious and was trying to fight it and then went over the handlebars and like landed on the foil and, and she was fine but yeah that's that's another thing it's you know when you're starting to lose it don't fight it i actually i had a pretty bad injury myself about a year ago right actually before i went to nemotu and i was riding i really i was riding the lift 90 ha when it came out and okay. I, I really like this foil and if you've ever seen this this wing it's really like high aspect and really pointy on the wing tips and it's really fast foil but i was pumping out and I, I hit some current and I, I lost my balance. And instead of kicking the board away from me, I don't really know what I was thinking, but I, I like jumped vertically instead of kicking the board away and the, the board kick flipped or the foil kick flipped underneath me. And I, I landed on the wingtip and it like cut through my wetsuit and broke my rib. And then my rib Whoa. punctured my lung. Yeah. Holy shit. Punctured yeah. your lung? Yeah. The rib, rib a lot of time is what, what will puncture your lung, like you wow. know, from it breaking. And, you know, luckily I had some close friends out there, my buddies, Colin and Bruce, who helped me get out of the water. And they, they took me, you know, I, I like felt like I got the wind knocked out of myself. And I was like, oh, like, I, I think I know what happened. Cause I had heard of like, you know, the, the symptoms of this. I'm like, okay, I think I broke a rib and, you know, maybe punctured a lung and went to the ER and they took x-rays and I, they kept me there for a couple of days to make sure they didn't have to put in a chest tube and relieve the air pressure. Cause sometimes if the, the puncture is bad, they'll, they'll have to do that. But this was actually like five weeks before I was originally supposed to go to Nemotu as a guest. And so I was like, Oh my God, am I going to heal in time? Like I'm freaking out. Like, and yeah. So you know, that's the thing you always want to be cautious and be aware that, you know, the injuries can happen. But since then, you know, knock on wood, you know, as long as you're, you're cautious and you think about it and you kick the foil away from you when you're losing it and try not to like really force it and save it, then, you know, you're, you're a lot less likely to, to fall on the foil and get hurt. And also if you don't use super sharp foils and, and pointy foils, that also helps with preventing that. And, you know, a lot of times when I wing or toenail, I'll wear like a, like an impact vest or something like that. And if I was wearing an impact vest, that wouldn't have happened, but yeah. And, and, <laughs> And it's crazy because hospital bills are insane. <laughs> it crushed you. Oh my God. It was like for the two, three days I was there, it was like $40,000. Oh my. Yeah. And luckily my insurance covered most of it, but I had like a steep deductible. So Whoa. I still had to, it took me a while to pay that off, but yeah. Yeah. Lesson, lesson learned. And yeah. So, you know, I, I was, you know, I passed that knowledge on to my students. Like don't, don't fight it if you're if you're really like leaning against the rope and you're you're speeding up just let go and fall back with the foil fall with the foil you want to keep your body in line with the mast if you're if the mast is going one direction and you're going the other direction that's how you, you can fall weird and so yeah thankfully you know there were no you know no major injuries on the island and while we were coaching and kind of using that different process and refining the, the coaching technique it's it's helped a lot and i think now too with the newer foils coming out, I think it's a lot easier for people to learn than it was, you know, a year ago or two years ago. I agree with that. You know, one thing talking about, you know, never correct, always eject. I mean, that's Kalama said that to me years ago. And I try to say it all the time just so people anchor that. 
but I have realized that, and I realized it through video, it wasn't a conscious process. I keep a foot on the foil through falls, so I'm still directing it, not letting mm. the foil kind of do what it wants to do on my way down. Or I do like this kind of weird like back foot shootout judo kick to yeah. get the foil away from me. Logan actually got a hilarious picture of me like in the middle of it the other day. But yeah, you never want to be close to your foil on your way down. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. So definitely the judo kick goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So you mentioned the lift 90 there and, and something else that you had mentioned to me, which I think is interesting. And I actually think it's interesting in context too. We're down at the, <laughs> I'm going to throw you under the bus right now. We're down at the foiling race and Patrick had just gotten his, the progression foils and he was on the 140 and apparently you had gotten an early feel on it. And Patrick was like telling me, you were like, oh yeah, it's, it's good. And then Patrick was like, dude, he thinks it's way too slow. <laughs> oh, classic Patrick. Yeah, I thought it was really funny. But you've said that you're starting to see speed in foiling a little bit differently. Can you kind of walk through what you've learned over the last little bit about speed and and where you were, where you are now and why? Yeah. So, for a while, you know, my go-to foils were the, you know, the 120, the 120 HA, the lift 120 HA is still yep. a great foil, oh. you know, revolutionary when it came yep. out and still is great for a lot of different disciplines. And then, you know, it, it, since it's a high aspect it any high aspect will do this, but in, in bigger and steeper conditions, it started to lock up. So when the, the lift 90 came out super excited because it's, it's significantly smaller, but they actually added a bit of camber to, to the profile. So it has more early lift actually than like the lift 120 and i move it the mass back in my box is like an inch when i'm using mm -hmm. that foil but i was using that foil pretty much exclusively for the summer i was on the motu and you know it, it it pumps it pumps great for its size i could you know stay up and get like three four ways just you know depending on it and then it also turns really good and breaches really well and but it has a high stall speed and you know because of you know my style of riding and learning how to use it you know once you get good at foiling or comfortable at foiling, you're able to just hold your speed. So stall speed isn't as much of an issue if you, you know, kick out early or you kick out with speed and you stay really high on the mass when you're pumping it. And that's one of those foils where when you're pumping it, it's really knifey. It doesn't have a lot of feedback, but it goes really fast. So like two, three pumps on that will cover like twice as much distance as, you know, another foil that you'd really feel a lot of feedback or as like a pump foil as you're, you're on top of it. But again, with that foil, you have to be higher on the mass and really finesse it. So not, you know, heavier, I, I weigh about 160 pounds or 72 kilos. I'm five, eight for people that are wondering. And so, yeah, I, I do agree that weight does make a pretty big difference when it comes to riding, even though, you know, people, some people argue that it doesn't and, but I, I think it does. It does. And so it is just good to go with, you know, the foil. And if you see like little kids riding foils, you're like, they'll, they'll get on a, a foil, a foil that's like small for me and can stay up forever. Yep. And, or they even look overpowered on. It. So the 90 HA was a foil I was using for a long time and it has a high stall speed. And I thought, you know, that's, and, and it goes really fast because it's, it's a really small surface area. And so I thought, okay, this is what 
a foil is all about. This is what an all-around foil needs to be because it, it pumps. It also really turns, but also gets out into the flats of the wave really quickly. You can outrun the wave and do big bottom turns and and stuff like that. And uh, I thought, okay, this is you know the be all end all. This is what I need in a foil. And then when I got on the progression 140, you know, it's a significantly bigger foil. And so I, I am guilty of doing this, but I'm you know comparing a progression or like a 140 surface area wing with like a 120 or a, a 90. And you know, in the back of my mind, this is kind of what I'm going off of. So it did feel slower. And any foil that's in that size range will, will feel slower. So it's not, you know, just because it's the progression or, or any of that, but, you know, so the first session I was a little like, oh man, I'm having a harder time turning this swing. I'm not going as fast. And I had to change my approach. So then when I, I got the, the test swing to, cause I'm writing the review for the foiling magazine, 140 and the 170 for the progression. When I, when I got the wing and I started writing it again, it, I kind of changed my approach and I went out in smaller conditions than I normally would. And I realized how much the lower stall speed of that foil not only helps you get up and pop up on foil and like catching the waves, but it also changes like the way you do turns. So now when I'm doing connection turns, I'm actually really gliding as much as I can before doing the turn and forcing myself to get really close to the stall speed. Because I think the wing actually excels the most when it's at that stall speed and you can really pivot and, and you know, throw it around when it's going slower. And I, I think that's why it's so good in, in smaller waves because you can get super close to the stall speed and, and yet it still performs really well. And one thing I actually just realized about stall speed, which was interesting, was that with the progression, when you breach the foil and you're going slow or when you're just breaching in general, you actually have really good recovery. You can like breach the whole foil and then recover because of that lower stall speed. Whereas a foil with a higher stall speed, if you do breach the whole wing and you don't have a lot of momentum, you're, you're not going to recover as much in the board will touch down and, you know, maybe the wave will pass you, pass you. So that was something that was, I never really thought about or realized. And it totally makes sense now seeing like you and Mike Pedigo doing like, you know, like throw tails and, just blowing out the whole wing and just recovering no problem. So that's kind of a, a cool concept that I didn't realize before. And stall speed is actually a really big thing with downwinding. So when I'm teaching people and when I was learning myself how to downwind, you know, Matt, Matt Costa foil me harder. And it was also on the podcast, you know, talked about bumps and how they're generated. And that gave me really good perspective. Anyone that's learning how to downwind, I, I highly suggest you go listen to that podcast because it gives you a new perspective, but learning, you know, they both told me like, you have to learn like how to get close to the stall speed to, you know, downwind well. And I didn't really get what that meant. And, you know, now I do because while you're gliding and while you're in the bumps or even while you're, if you're trying to stay up for a long period of time in waves, the closer and the longer time you spend getting closer to the stall speed, the more time you have to rest and be more efficient and almost forcing the foil to glide by, being more heavy on your back foot until you really feel like it's starting to ride nose up gives you that extra efficiency and rest and for downwinding and just pump foiling and everything. So I'd say that's a huge thing where I think the progression wing is awesome for downwinding as well, because of that speed range, it, it, it does have a pretty good top end for its size as well as a really good low end. So that's something that's really interesting that has changed my perspective a lot about foils and foil design. 
That's cool. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm lazy and, and <laughs> I want to get as much fun out of a session as I possibly can with the least amount of work. And it's never on, uh, you know, a low amount of work. I always work the same amount. It's just how much ride time am I getting for that amount of work? Cause I just leave it all out there the whole time. Um, and so glide and stall speed were like the two things that were couldn't compromise on. And I think the two of those go hand in hand because they both extend your cardio range, you know, and, mm -hmm. and for me, and I think a lot of people, once you're technical ability gets to a certain level where, you know, like given the right amount of cardio, someone who's pretty decent at pumping can just pump forever. It's just cardio limited at that point. Right. So then all of your ride time is just limited on by that. And that's what we really wanted to extend. Yeah. And then build around that once, once we figured that out, which is like probably 80% foil section, which was really interesting. Cause you know, it, it's, you know, you have to have something that's kind of in that aspect range, but Oil section is so important. And that was like one of the biggest things that I've learned throughout this process. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely an eye-opening topic. And even if with, with tails, that's a, a big thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, as a surfer, I never really felt the difference between fins. I mean, pros can, a lot of people can, but I couldn't. But I think everyone can feel the difference between a tail. I was riding the shiv pretty much exclusively because I thought that would be the the fastest tail with the progressions and I'd ride it with a zero shim and the medium fuse. And then I just recently tried the, the shank because coming from like the lift setups and stuff like that was more backfooted. I thought I'll, I'll give it a go. And it, it felt way different. I actually felt like I could pump and turn it even better. So that was kind of, an, it could have just been the session. I've only done like one test on it, but yeah, I think tails go a long way and it is cool that, you know, Dunafoil is offering that G10 pack that you can mess around with and chop, but I know you've, you've been working on a, a tail yourself, so I'm excited to hear more about that. I actually think on a broader level there, tails are incredible because you can really change the speed range of a foil with a tail. And so, you know, that's, I ride pretty much the same foils when I'm sending downwinders, either the 170 or a little bit bigger size that we've just finished. But depending on the conditions, I'll ride like three or four different tails, depending on what I'm like optimizing for, which is pretty cool. I mean, the Kajir tails pale, pair very well. And like the 178, if you just want like a just something you can absolutely grave dig anywhere, somehow that tail's got some magic for that. It's really cool. And then I feel like the the uni tails have a really good kind of middle of the range right now, like mm -hmm. depending on what feel you want. And then on the high end, it's like the Marlin. Like if you really want to go fast, I'm on the Marlin 13. And that yeah. thing is like, you know, crazy fast. Yeah. So I actually, a couple of days ago, I did a, a downwinder with Cole Bufoil. And we were both on the Lyft 150 HAX, which is, you know, their new kind of designated downwind foil, but also really good in, in surf and, and stuff like that. But it's a high aspect, bigger, mm -hmm. you know, bigger wingspan. And it's really people like it for the sup downwind and we we were both trying a prone run and like 15 to 18 knots win and he had a foil parts adapter with the 13 inch marlin tail and he had used that like the day before on another downwinder but this time he was trying it with a like 0.25 shim and i was okay. on the, the same foil with the 25 glide tail that lift makes and 
he actually with that 0.25 shim he's like oh my god this foil or like now i it feels like significantly slower and he wasn't able to like for example keep up with like me or the bumps and stuff like that in the same way he did before without the shim wow and so it, it does you know it's, it's really interesting the tail does make a huge difference in a, a tail that's like normally really fast if you shim it or if you put it on a shorter fuse or just depending on how it's mounted it it profoundly different and I never really realized how much shimming could affect the speed and the way lift plays into foils, but it's, yeah, it's kind of fascinating seeing that firsthand. It's, it's wild. Have you experimented with negative shimming? I mean, when Zane Westwood was just on the show, he's saying that his downwind lift setups, he's now negative shimming like the Marlin tails. Mm. Uh, yeah, no, I, I haven't messed enough with shimming. I, I definitely want to now because I'm, I'm slowly seeing how much it, it really does make a difference, but I've noticed that with these tail adapters too, it's interesting. You can either top mount it or bottom mount it. That's cool. So I've always kind of wondered, I know like North and I think Takuma too, like they have it top mounted where the, the tail wing is like slightly maybe above the trailing edge of the front foil. So, you know, they, they say it's like an early warning that you're going to breach or it, it, the tail is clear of any vortices or turbulence off the front wing. But I don't know if you've experimented with the top or bottom mount and how that, how that I have, feels. I have not experimented with a setup where you could do both. Yeah. I've ridden a lot of setups that are top mount and mm. obviously a ton that are bottom mount. But I haven't I haven't tried both on the same setup, which would be really interesting, especially with how Kane's building his tails now. You can top or bottom mount. Yeah. He built this. Yeah, exactly. That's really smart. Because, yeah, Cole's looking at the Marlin tail and he's like, oh, how do I which way should I mount it? And it's, it's kind of, and that's another thing with tails. It's like really helps to talk to someone that's done it before to get some guidance. Cause you know, it, it, it's, there's a lot of different combinations. Dude, it's a rabbit hole. Testing tails is the worst thing. The worst part of this project <laughs> that we just did. And I'm so happy it's done, man. I'm so happy. So good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. It's actually interesting since we're jamming on tails, like where we landed and how it's tuned because so I ride all of the shiv shank shunts like I ride most tails pretty much zero shim but mm -hmm. as I've started downwinding more I will go into that negative area and give up a little bit of you know turning radius a little add a little bit of pitchiness maybe to a setup or have to ride a little bit farther forward in the box which I can't really do anymore I can't really go farther forward on my prone boards because I'll be standing on the nose yeah <laughs> you know i think i've hit like max forward placement there but on downwind you have so much room and I, and I really like that and so the tail is actually tuned to where prone i'm riding it like 0.5 to one degree shim to get the feels that i like but it's a really it's like a kind of a it's a much faster tail than the three pack it's a little bit higher aspect it's a, kind of a similar foil section i guess to the shiv and because it's all going to be carbon, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying all this stuff, but I don't think I will. Because it's all carbon, it's like it's like so incredibly stiff with this layup that Cliffy figured out that we could make it thinner than the current tails and have it be much more stiff. And so you're getting all the speed. And so what's really cool about it is that you're not really slowing down the same way. I like I've been so against shimming much because I feel like it slows foils down, but I'm able to go up to like a one degree shim without much change in speed. It's really just a change in feel, which is crazy. 
And so that's really cool. I mean, it might add just a touch of stall speed to the setup, but it's so much faster. It's really cool. Like I had to like kind of change the way I was drawing lines. First session, I was like, whoa, because I kept missing sections or being too far out. But now that I'm used to it, it's like, it's really cool. That's right. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, another person that really is all about, you know, the the tweaking and different testing and stuff that you should definitely have a chat with is Kyle Knox. He's yeah. a, a, a guy out here in, in San Diego. I think he just started working with Uni2 as an ambassador and he rides for dark arts and was a pro surfer, you know, and he's, he's incredible and he's so good at whitewash hits and just surf lines and stuff like that. But he has a really good feel for different tails and foil sections. And he's tested a lot of different stuff. So He's definitely someone you should also get on here and also chat with him too because he, he's got a lot of good feedback and cross-comparison with testing and stuff like that that I think you guys would really resonate on. That'd be cool. Yeah, his name keeps popping up. I, I haven't met him yet, but I keep hearing that he's just ripping out there. So. Oh, yeah, he's he's so good. I don't he's see so a lot of clips of him yet, though. He's he's kind of underground right now. Yeah, you got you got to check out his Instagram. He's, he's, he's coming up more, but yeah, he uh, he's mostly around San Diego. Okay. But yeah, he's good friends with like San Diego Foil Club, Duke. Yeah, they're 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 a really cool crew. And down yeah, out here it's it's super fun. Like we 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 get waves, but the one one thing that it holds us back is seagrass and kelp. I mean, LA, 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 like is kind of questionable. Like Orange County gets a lot of fun waves. There's less kelp. San Diego has like seagrass and kelp, but that's the bummer. Like you'll you'll be doing a downwinder and you'll look down and you'll see a piece of seagrass around your foil and you're like, oh man, like I just <laughs> you feel yourself go way slower and you're having a hard time <laughs> keeping up and you're like, oh my god, I'm like a quarter mile out to sea right now. What this, this sucks. So that is the only bummer. And I mean, like out here too, like I I drive a minimum of like an hour for like almost every foil session each way, and so it's definitely a send, but I think it makes it that much sweeter. You know, you, I feel like I'm earning, earning every session. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that feeling of like slowing down while you're on foil because you've something's got you. I was doing a runner probably about a month ago and it was like a small day. And it was like one of these days where I went out and it was still kind of bridge season. Like normally everybody's out there in a three, two. And when I do runners, I just go out in baggies because I overheat so much, but there were like no chips. So I had to mm. wait for like 20, 20 minutes in like 65 degree water temperature waiting on a chip. And I finally get up and I was going to do like three, three and a half miles. And right around like the three quarter mile mark, I'm kind of good south. And, and but you kind of had to run it on the bar. Usually I like to be out a lot farther, but it was like side offshore. Yeah. And so to get enough energy, the wave kind of had to shoal. So you were kind of running on the bar and all of a sudden I'm like pumping back out and I just felt like I was just carrying something and it just got harder and harder to pump. I was going slower and slower, like two connections in a row. I couldn't figure out what's going on. And then I'm pumping back out and the board just absolutely stops. And I just go yarded over the front. Turns out I had caught a fishing line and oh, I guess no. I was spooling line off the guy's thing. And then I guess he finally realized it and just set the hook on me. Oh. It just the board just fully stopped, and then you know, like I'm like going back to my board and unraveling this. He had like a leader on it. He was probably shark fishing or something, so that's why it didn't break. <laughs> that's oh, that's hilarious. But he, I so, trip wired you. Yeah, he trip wired me. He did it in a place where there were zero chips, so I had to paddle shame it. 
come back in, call for a ride. Yeah, I was I was mad. <laughs> oh, that's that's too good. What do you want to jam on, man? I know you've got so many thoughts. I want to keep picking your brain. Yeah, let me see. Ryan's one of the guys, and I love this, who came prepared with a whole page full of notes. <laughs> it's so good yes, when that happens. I didn't want to miss anything. <laughs> this is a rare opportunity, so I want to want to cover everything. So it doesn't have to be rare. Yeah, appreciate that. So I want to talk about like pumping and technique. Okay. So that's another big thing, you know, with coaching and also you know self coaching, and I think it goes a long way where people are convincing themselves that they need to go out and buy like the biggest pump wing to learn how to pump. And I mean, it, those are definitely like, you know, efficient and you could stay up for longer, but they have a slower overall top speed. And then they kind of sometimes have a mind of their own where they'll start drifting one direction or the other, and it's harder to control it and stay over it. But, you know, there's a lot of people out here and people that I've talked to that are really trying to refine their, their pumping technique. And so that's one of the things I wanted to talk about where I mean, it does depend on what foil you're on. If you're on a high aspect or a surf wing and just the different brands also depend like a gold foil will, you'll be in front of the mast and pumping more with your front foot. The axes are more front foot. The lift setups are more back footed. I think the uni, it feels a little bit more front footed, but one thing that's really interesting is if you see a video of a foil moving underwater while you're pumping it, it's never really angling downward as much. It's like you're pushing it almost, it's, flat and down and then as you're unweighting it and pushing off it comes up and like flying at an upward angle and then you're pushing it down almost flat again yep so what's what's interesting is people think that when you're pumping you're you're pushing down but and correct me if i wrong if i'm wrong but i think a lot of it is actually you're you're pushing off to unweight and reset your height on the mast yeah so that's the way that i used to think about pumping and now I kind of see it like I'm trying to stay in that high position and push the foil down. And and when I talk about pushing the foil down, and, and I know it's probably different for everybody, so I want to hear your thoughts on this. But in my framework, I'm trying to get as even-footed pressure so I'm not driving the nose of the board down. Now, now I like the board angled down just a little bit because I think that lets you project a little bit more and it lets you kind of lean into the direction you're going. But I'm trying to push down with both feet at the same time and then really just let the foil come back up. You guys, you jump off your back foot a little bit, but I'm letting the foil come back under my feet and then I'm powering it down and forward or, you know, hopefully horizontal. The more yeah. horizontal you can get your your foil, the, the more wavelength you can put into that pump and the more distance you're going to cover and you'll have more speed except at lower speeds when you're like really close to stall speed, then it's just about, you know, high cadence. Yeah. Weaker pumps trying to get back up to speed. Right. I don't know. Is that, does that make sense to you? It does. It does. And that's also like, that's an internal conflict I have too, is how to explain it to people. Cause people are like, how do I pump? And, you know, verbally explaining it's kind of tough. Definitely. You want to show them a video of like, I just yeah. had a thought here. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but I just yeah. had a thought here. Like if you think about people and I'm like thinking about, you know, some of the guys that we foil with who are just kind of learning the beginning of pumping, it's really the board home is low, like where they like to live is low. And it's basically looks like they're jumping off the water. Right. Right. And, and if you look at guys who are good, 
their kind of relative home starting place is high and the board looks like it's going down and then popping back up to them. And that's what I always try to tell folks is, you know, it's like you're not low, you're not jumping, you know, letting the board come back to you. You're kind of like trying to push forward, like almost j jump forward, not up from the high right. point, pushing it down. I don't know. So one one way I thought about it, and it's, it's, it's hard to describe whether it's you're, you're pushing the foil down or you're loading up to release the foil. That's kind of the way I, I think about it. I have a hard time knowing which is really which, but the way I kind of think about it and I see the difference between beginners that are pumping and just kind of jumping up vertically versus really good guys that can pump. It's, it's the compression. So you're mm -hmm. loading up, you're loading up like through the, the hips first. I think people really don't realize the hips make a big difference. And then you're, you're pushing off through the thighs and then releasing off your like calves and your toes to compress the foil down and then let it come back up with you as you're pushing off. Yep. So one thing I th yeah. think think is important to note is that a lot of people learning to pump kind of stay with their hips back and their back foot isn't moving a lot and they're moving their front foot a whole lot, kind of pushing the nose up and down. And that's terrible. That's just high angle of attack, right. slowing yourself down the whole time. It, it's really that uniform pressure on the foil that, yeah, both legs working at the same time. Yeah. And so that, that's a cool thing. I, I think why I, why the progression has also grown on me is, you know, I, I loaned it out to someone to Pratt and he's like, Oh, it feels like I'm pumping off concrete, which is, is, is cool. Cause it has so much feedback and so much push against it. You don't feel like you're going to push through it. So that's, that's one of the things that I think, uh, you know, even though it, it, it's a bigger foil, it's more designed around your conditions and smaller waves. It, it has a really good feel to it, even with connection turns and all that stuff. But that's another thing. If you want to learn how to pump, go with a foil that's got good feel to it. If you go and you're trying to learn how to pump on a, a, a tiny surf wing, or if you're trying to learn how to pump on, on something that's, that's way, way too big, or even, even really big foils that are have high surface areas, they might not necessarily be good for pumping. They could just have early lift, but they don't necessarily have the, the pump and glide. So yeah, that's that's another important thing too is the the gear makes a huge difference and that's the thing i learned from day one so i, I really like foils that give me a warning before i'm about to stall right that one you can start to stall it and it's you know more of a tip stall than a, a base stall i guess and so you can feel it start to go and then recover um, mm -hmm. i don't like foils that don't give me that warning where like everything seems fine. And then all of a sudden you're on the water and you're like, Oh, that, that sucks. Right. That yeah. And, and one thing is closer to the stall speed. What I've noticed too, is sometimes you actually have to force the, the angle more downwards mm -hmm. to recover from like, if you're pushing it flat, sometimes it's easier to stall if you're at that closer to the stall speed. But if you, if you really kind of make that sinusoidal arc to, yep to really generate the speed and increase the speed of it through the water, you can recover pumping a lot of times. And that's what I've noticed from, from downwinding or if you make a mistake and you're trying to gain height on the mast again, but that's another really underrated thing that I think, you know, you, you can't ever get too good at it and it's mast height awareness. And when you're pumping really gaining and understanding like peripheral wise, 
how high you are on the mast and how close you can get before really breaching because that efficiency you get from staying high on the mast will add so much more time to how long you could stay up on foil. Yep. Huge. Like it, it's, I think it's so, so underrated. I, I, I mean, everyone says stay high on the mast, stay high on the mast, but I don't think they realize, you know, you consistently have to keep doing that. Yeah. I mean, even you when think, you're, yeah. But I was going to say, if you think about being high on the mast, you're doing two things. One, you're shedding drag by getting the mast out of the water. So you just have less, you know, mass drag happening, but also there's that. And I haven't, I think maybe Matt and I talked about it on the show, but it's almost like the reverse ground effect. As you get closer mm, yeah. to the surface of the water, there's just less pressure on the top of the foil. And so it feels slipperier, feels faster that way too. Yeah. Yeah. And Matt, Matt has a lot of cool theories and ideas on, the lifting force and how foils fly and how they're different to airfoils, which is really interesting. I love, you know, the way he, he thinks about it. And again, you know, everything I'm saying now and everything that I think people, a lot of people have to say is, is on a colloquial basis. It's kind of hard to know the exact science behind it. And a lot of us are going based off of feel. Well, and at the yeah. end of the day, like physicists don't understand why wings fly you know like that's still debated and that's yeah. hilarious to me yeah yeah so it's it's interesting to see how the understanding progresses one thing i i don't know if you know and i, I was curious to ask you is you know when i'm close to the stall speed sometimes or like i'm almost stalling a foil and i'm pumping i feel like almost like it's shuddering or like i'm like flex i don't know if you've noticed that like, like you, you feel flex like oh, well, you feel like you're flexing the wing or it's like I, the tail's maybe flexing. Or I think it's the tail like, flexing. Yeah. Those G10s have some flex in them and at speed, I don't feel it. And yeah, as I get closer to stall speeds, you feel it a little bit more. Yeah. I've always, yeah. I've always wondered what that, that was. And it's not, I have, don't just feel it in, in G10. I've felt it in my carbon tails too, but you know, right at the stall speed, like what is that thing flexing? You know, is it, is it the tail or is it just the, the way it's moving through the water? So yeah. I mean, I think, knows. Yeah. I think on the uni stuff, I think those G10s do have a little bit of flex in them. And at times I feel, at times I really like it. And at times I don't like it. It's, it's kind of a weird one. My relationship with flex changes all the time, but generally speaking, like I like stuff that's really stiff, but sometimes like towing, I, I like maybe a little bit more flex. I feel like you can kind of like change, like, I don't know, direction change a little harder with a little bit of flex with the same mm -hmm. setup. Yeah. So that's, that's another thing I wanted to talk about is stance. I, I love just the, the concept and I, I, I generally have a narrow stance, which has actually hurt me with normal shortboarding, but oh, yeah. with foiling, it's actually helped a lot because I feel like you're more relaxed. You're just standing on the foil. You're balancing on the foil when you're doing turns, or if you watch guys like Kiahi or Kane or, you know, even yourself and you guys have a pretty relaxed, you know, shoulder width stance or even going narrower sometimes it's fun for just kind of floating around and but you know some other people have like a really wide stance if you look at like chipri the yeah he's 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 nuts he he turns so good and he has a super offset stance too and he's able to turn really big wingspan wings super hard so it's interesting you know i, I know that as i've come along i used to think that just having a narrow stance is is the trick but I, as i'm as I'm coming along and using different foils, I'm like, okay, maybe slightly wider, or just depending on the foil, having an offset stance off the stringer, like closer to the rail with my toes and heels 
helps a lot with turning, but it, it just depends on the wing. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with everything you said there. The What I have tried to do recently, I love this narrow stance and flowy feels, but there is a limit into, like if you look at Pedigo, and I think Pedigo might be the best guy in the world at doing this right now, leveraging off of the tail to control arc, to control mm. radius. And like I feel like that's where my game has lacked to his a little bit you know like it's like the way that he's able to like really pivot off of his tail and the way he's doing that is I mean, if you look at his stance it's probably four or five inches wider than mine most of the time so i have been playing with going back and forth between stances like in the middle of turns lately and that's been really cool because if you see the section and you see the line that you want to draw on the section and you can adjust your stance to be right for that place it's really powerful. It's not easy. And sometimes I'm lazy and I don't want to think about it. But when I go out there and I'm kind of training, that's what I'm doing right now is like adjusting. Stand. I always do that a little bit, kind of like move. I move my back foot a lot when I surf, but mm -hmm. actually same. to do what he's doing, I have to move my front foot forward at the same time to be able to go that far back with the back foot. Right. And recover. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's, it's interesting. And you know, like Pedigo is super good at turning big wings. Like he, he yeah. ripped the, you know, lift 170, the Kujira 1210. And yep. even, even the, the progression 170 is I, I, I like that wing for a lot for downwinding and pumping around and staying up for a long time and uh, smaller. I'm a lighter guy. So I, I would go with the 140 on those surf days, but he, he's like turning that thing. No problem. Yeah. I love yeah, the 170. It's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an awesome foil too. And I actually with the 170 learned how to sup downwind. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that what was that? something that was interesting. And I was and I don't have a lot of big foils. So when I was learning how to, I, I got like a like a prototype like Freedom Dagger from Brady Hurley that I was I was trying out. It's like a six four by eighteen and a quarter and like five point eight inches thick at like eighty five liters. And I was Wait. really yeah I was tripping out. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to stand on this thing. You're not really making it easy for yourself. I, I wasn't, and I just wanted to get a good deal and buy a board. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm not ready to spend spend the money on a new board. And my friends were like, "Oh, you gotta you gotta buy this thing. It's a good board. You'll you'll figure it out. Like you you already know how to downwind. So just you'll just have to figure out the pop up." And I, I went out there and the first session went out with my buddy Kenny, who was on a Barracuda, and he he kind of got up and left me. <laughs> and then this was like our our normal run, which was like Topanga, which actually gets really good bumps because we have a, a, a channel that allows, you know, on lighter wind days for the fetch to kind of carry all the way through. And the bumps are really organized and there's not a lot of backwash and ground swell. So it's actually a really fun run that people really like and have come out and, and tried. And like, wow, the bumps are actually surprisingly good here. So we did that run a little longer, actually starting from this spot called Big Rock. And was like about four miles and I was on the progression 170, the 82 Katana and the sport. And I had my paddle, which was a Chinook 96 that was cut to like head high about to the top of the handle. And I hadn't, I, I haven't supped since that, you know, first time basically that I, I tried when I was learning how to foil and I went out there and I could barely stand on the board and I was kept struggling and falling off. And I, I think, you know, head dip, he was yep. out there winging around. He got some footage so I could I could look at, but he, we basically, I reviewed the footage and I was like, all right, like I need to figure this out. So I, I went out and practiced in little waves. 
And I think that was the key. And anyone that's learning how to, to shut down wind, I highly, highly recommend this. Go out and take your setup, whatever it is. And definitely the long skinny boards will, will help a lot for getting up. And if you have sub experience, it's going to be even easier to get accustomed to that. But go out in waves. You get the flat water practice of just paddling and paddling straight. And then you also get the technique of learning how to leverage off the paddle and on weight the board at the same time to get up on foil in you know conditions that you wouldn't be able to paddle up onto, even on a, a prone downwind board. I think the prone downwinding on the long skinny boards is we call them long boys sometimes, but <laughs> is, is awesome. And I think people that don't want to learn how to sup, it's, it's, you know, totally doable, but you do need a little bit more wind to get up and going. Cause you don't have the same ability to already be standing and leverage off the paddle to get up on foil. Yep. So I originally thought I was just going to do the prone paddle up on the boards, but honestly, it's not as difficult as you think if you go and you just practice and, in in waves that's that's the first step because then you learn how to pump the setup where the foil needs to be mounted in the box and what i have noticed that it's really weird if you put the foil too far forward in some of these boards like it's actually unrideable yep it's like you're almost like pulling a wagon or like you're pulling a wagon behind you like all the swing weights in the back now and you're it's really it's a really weird sensation like i couldn't even ride straight on one of these boards that I mounted the foil too far forward on. So it's really important to get the mass position dialed and learning how to pump it, where to stand. And, you know, it's much better to do it in surf than, you know, figuring it out in downwinding conditions. And a lot of people are like, Oh, I just go out there and struggle and learn how to downwind and in those conditions. But I think going out in small waves is like a cheat code for learning the setup and getting a lot of reps before you go out. And I did like two sessions in waves with that, learned how to pump the 170 and then went out on a really windy day, like like a 30 knot day. And I think that's another thing, you know, be strategic when you're learning any of these sports, you know, obviously go out and do it and make it happen and try to maximize your attempts. And obviously you're going to suffer in the beginning, but it's, it's totally worth the process, but be strategic, you know, don't, just go out there. like the first session I did, I, I didn't even get up on foil and I spent like three hours paddling the whole time to get back to shore or to the, to the end, but be smart about when you go out and the decisions, take a Apple watch out there with you or a phone so that you can contact anyone or go do it with a partner. But downwinding is one of those free for all things where you, you start the run together, but a lot of times you're on your own once you're out there. So you want to put yourself in a situation where you have room for success. Like if you go out and you try to learn how to sup downwind and like, you know, 10 to 15 knots, it's going to be a lot harder than if you went out in conditions that have really good wind chop, like a 20 to 25 to 30 knot day. And so, yeah, that, that's my recommendation for people learning how to sup downwind. Cause I, I just learned and I'm, you know, still figuring out the pop-up and it's extremely, extremely satisfying. I didn't see the appeal in riding these boards before I was like, Oh, I'm just going to do prone downwind prone prone runs and stuff like that but being able to get up being able to be up at the same time as your friends and just chat and have no apparent wind like no headwind no tailwind you're just standing there it's like almost silent and you're just talking to each other and you know it's like someone needs to come off foil and adjust their setup you could just come off next to them and you're just floating and chatting and then you guys get back up again and doing long runs it's it's you know one of the greatest things ever yeah it lets you play too like when you're on a sup and you know there's decent conditions i'm not afraid at all of coming down so then i can have a lot more fun 
than if I'm prone in that far offshore where I'm kind of being a little bit more careful, you know, as far as what's going on. I a hundred percent agree with learning in the surf and small and small waves. And actually it's kind of funny because I have a spent a lot of time on SUP in my day and started SUP foiling, spent a lot of time doing that. And then never really I didn't SUP foil much in the last, I don't know, almost year. Like once I started downwinding, kind of only took the SUP out to downwind. And then this winter, we had a couple really warm days. And so, you know, water was like 60, but I could go out there and just baggies because, you know, the air temperature was so warm. So I just wanted to sup just for that, just to get out of the wetsuit for a little bit. And it was incredible. Probably it was like one week and I dropped some clips from it, but it was like one week and it completely changed my downwinding. It changed where I wanted to ride the foil in the box. It changed the way that I was approaching turns and like how hard I felt comfortable turning. And you know, everybody's kind of going to these longer boards right now. And I've actually gone shorter and wider to mm -hmm. kind of like an almost an all rounder where it's like, I like love downwinding it and subsurfing it and winging it. And it's kind of like, I can just rock two boards. Now I have my prone boards and then I have, you know, one model that I do for everything else. And it's awesome. And, and what I really like about it, it's a six, nine, I was up you know, at seven foot and, um, had an eight foot barracuda. And I think the barracudas are absolutely insane. But they're not yeah, really they're... built for our conditions. They're they're almost a little bit. The, mm. Once you get up to eight foot, it's almost too long to fit in between the majority of our bumps. So like you end up going mm -hmm. uphill before you've caught a wave. And so I wanted to solve for something a little different there. And it's really cool because now going shorter in in the style of bumps that we have, I can be a lot more aggressive in how I'm surfing the board because it fits. I'm not worried about as much space front and back. Right. Oh. But yeah, like the the surf, like really leapfrogged everything. Like my chips are so much easier, the whole thing. So yeah, if you're thinking about downwinding, best thing you could do is just get good at sup foiling in tandem or ahead of downwinding. Yeah. And and one thing helped too is, you know, using the paddle to help your balance mm -hmm. and, you know, having some sort of momentum, you know, before you stand up, you kind of give a couple paddles on your knees and then you stand up. So you on those skinnier boards. And having a wider wingspan foil also adds a ton of stability to those boards. Yep. Yeah, it does. Now, one thing I'm going to push back on, well, I'm not going to push back on, but I'm going to mention is you said you were on the 83 Katana downwinding. Yep. It's way easier to get up on shorter masts. So I ride. Oh, 100%. 100%. 75 now. All the, yeah. like, that's my downwind. Yeah. Setup, 75 always. Yeah. That's, that's the only mast I had. So I had to, uh, had gotcha. to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's tough when you when you have options it's it's nice i i definitely the shorter masks are way easier and i i highly recommend if anyone's learning use a use a shorter mask than i did and maybe don't you know you don't have to start with a smaller foil and you know one one thing i kind of wanted to touch on too is you know everything works differently for different people and everyone has different styles but you know at, at, at the beginning it's the most important thing is technique and educating yourself and you know developing and understanding and being able to like you know once you understand how foils kind of work in a nutshell and how pumping and all of these things work and what what would be right for you in your way it, it goes a long way in terms of progression and i don't necessarily find myself like a super like i wouldn't find myself as talented as a lot of pros out there but i do think that i put a lot of thought into this and i think about it all the time and you know i daydream about foiling and think of how I can improve in different techniques. So I think for anyone that's out there, you know, it, 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 it'll do a lot for you. If you 
are open-minded and willing to, you know, critique yourself, watch, you know, Surfline Rewinds footage of yourself or ask people for advice and try to break your habits and improve in, in that sense, for sure. Because it'll, it'll go a long way. And if you master, you know, the, 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 the baselines of techniques like, you know, arm positioning and just cadence and all these things, if you, you get it done over with early, you're going to have a foundation that will assist you in progressing and not having to think about those things as you get better. And so you can focus on more progressive things. And, you know, we can only think about so much at one time. So by making things second nature early and by trying to really refine that technique early, so you don't have bad habits and stuff like that, I think it, it's really important for anyone that's learning or people that are experienced now just to be aware and gain more self-awareness while you're out there. Well said, you know, Tim Ferriss says you don't want to pick out the, and I'm going to bastardize this. He's pretty articulate in the way that, that he explains it, but you don't want to pick out the guy who is just the freak talent to ask, you know, questions to, you want to pick out the guy who shouldn't be nearly as good as he is because he's the guy who mm -hmm. spent the time breaking it down and figuring it out. And that's going to be your quickest onboarding is learning from folks who I'd probably put myself in this category. You know, I'm not a pro athlete in any way, but I've spent a lot of time and, you know, from, you know, I started a podcast so I could learn to foil better. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, like, <laughs> you know, it's deliberate practice, feedback loops, creating systems and incrementally getting better and building on, on skill sets. So, yeah that's a valuable advice right there yeah definitely and again it's the, the another thing is the community like the, the la foil club you know whatsapp chat and community has done a lot for me and, and everyone else in terms of meeting like-minded people being able to try other people's gear and mess around and having people to talk to but also uh you know a lot of my closest friends right now are are through that so huge thanks to like leland dow and Brad and Merton and all the founders of kind of this, this club and pushing it. And, you know, like this is, it's a life-changing community and everyone is so awesome and so nice. And so, you know, anyone that's out there, go become friends with, you know, your community and build chats and, you know, help each other out. So I, cause I, I think it goes a really long way in terms of progression as well. And, you know, go watch YouTube videos online, like gaming Leroy and, Again, yeah, just inf the information goes a long way with a sport like this. Absolutely. And learning how to forecast. Yeah, learning how to forecast is a really big thing. If you like learn how to forecast wind or, you know, going out with people that know what they're doing, it's it's huge. Going to the right spots. Yeah. Well, Ryan, dude, this has been amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. A lot of nuggets in here. That was an hour and 20 minutes. Felt like 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Was, oh. Yeah, went by quick. Yeah, and, and I actually, before we wrap things up, I just oh, yeah, want, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go I was going to say it's been it's been probably our worst month of surf here in as long as I've been foiling. Maybe I mean it's been terrible. Oh, but it, it might get wind this afternoon, so I'm like, we're sitting here talking, and I'm getting more excited because there's white caps, some little chips. Something's I'm going to get to get in the ocean today. That's that makes me happy. Awesome. Yeah. What man. are you going to ride? It's going to be the sup. And I don't know if it's going to be the wing. I think it's too east to downwind. So it's either going to be the wing or a sup surf session. Nice. Yeah. Winging, winging is really good fun. W winging, actually, this is something we didn't talk about on the show, but I'm just going to put it out there. Winging is a yeah. great way to learn a board and to exactly. get 
put time on a foil, just get comfortable with it, like play with your stance, get like everything like dialed perfectly. It, it's cool because, you know, I think those three disciplines, the downwind, sup foil, and like sup winging, I ride the exact same setup. And so I just know exactly what it's going to be. There's no like, there's no mystery anymore when I'm taking something out. I don't really, you know, like ruin sessions because of that anymore, which is awesome. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, just you know, before we wrap this up, I just kind of want to leave some things with people that, you know, this this is everyone has their own journey in this you know foil world and your own experience. But I think one of the things I learned, and I'd love for also people to apply to themselves, is you know be confident and go out there and learn all the disciplines and be open minded. You know, if you if you only stick with one discipline like prone or wing you know you're you're missing out on so many so many fun fun experiences and learning experiences where you know that i think that's what it means to be a foiler is to go out there and, and try and apply it to everything and so go learn how to dock start learn how to downwind go try towing go try wake anything that presents itself you know commit yourself to learning it and accept that there will be a learning curve in the beginning but you know it it gives you so many more days out in the water and then also build so many more relationships and, you know, it, it set goals for yourself and get out there and achieve them and, and, and really believe in yourself. Cause right now this is a really early sport and industry and we can reach out to the people we look, look up to. And, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the person that I, I learned from right now, like, you know, Eric and being able to, meet all of the pros and going to these contests and seeing how humble everyone is. It's, it's really cool. So that's my advice. If you're learning, you know, reach out to the people you look up to and yeah, make it, make a name for yourself. Yeah. Everyone's so mellow. There's like, there's really no one that I have met in the sport so far. That's not willing to answer questions and help out. Everyone's just so stoked. And maybe this is the honeymoon phase. I'd like to think it's going to continue forever. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe if we can continue to instill this mindset, maybe we get a lot more time out of it than than we would otherwise but i think it's yeah. one of the things that there's no scarcity guys there's 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 no reason to ever get weird or competitive like for spots anyways uh, mm -hmm. you know so hopefully yeah and, and if you're out and you see someone that's that's learning definitely do your best to guide them you know in the right direction because you know there's as there's more and more foilers it, it definitely is a concern with more traditional surfers, you know, they're not, they're not necessarily maybe happy about it or there's jealousy and stuff like that. Just be, be super friendly. And, you know, also with lifeguards and all that, try and get, you know, your local, you know, crew and community and lifeguards all, all stoked on foiling so that we can kind of keep, keep the ball rolling and, and not create unnecessary fear on the sport. Cause I, I feel like there are some places where, you know, unfortunately in Australia, it's like banned at certain beaches and, Hopefully nope. it doesn't have to happen anywhere. No, I completely agree. Wear a leash if you're around people. Definitely. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Well, Ryan, this has been awesome, man. What do you want to... Is that your last words right there? You so, got yeah, that, leave? yeah, I'll wrap it up on that. Thanks for, for having me. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, man. Hopefully we get to share waves in the near future, brother. All right. Sounds good. Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonson.